We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash match. Just go to Indeed.com slash match right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash match. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Blog Talk Radio. Good morning and welcome to Hoosier Huddle Podcast. Today we are wrapping up the 2017 season, talking about the bucket game yesterday, the 31-24 loss at Purdue. I'm Sammy Jacobs. Joining me is David Sugarman, who is one of our writers at Hoosier Huddle. He was also on the WIUX radio call yesterday. Uh, David, disappointing loss yesterday. It was disappointing in a lot of phases. How it happened, uh, IU came out flat. They made the mistakes that all of us here said that they couldn't make. Uh, interception early, a chop block penalty wipes out a touchdown. Um, you know, on the first, setting up that first drive, there's a block in the back by Damian Willis uh, that moved things back. Um, you know, Markel just basically matches his season rushing total. Um, from the first 11 games uh, yesterday. Just an all-around disappointing, maddening. You know, I'm still angry about it. Um, just a maddening head against a wall uh, game for IU yesterday. Without a doubt. I think the 31-24 score really doesn't tell the story of the game. They showed some good fight late in that game. You know, they got down the field a couple times late, and they recovered one onside kick, even though that's not the one they ended up. You know, they ended up scoring off of it, and, and did some good things in the fourth quarter um, when they, you know, when their backs were against the wall. But you know, too little, too late. And uh, like you said, they got absolutely shredded on the ground. I thought the defense was good for a lot of the first half, and then showed some chinks in the armor. I think eventually they got tired because the offense really only, uh, you know, outside of those quick drives late in the fourth quarter, didn't sustain many long drives throughout the game. So I think, didn't think that did them any favors. Um, Richard Lego was not very good, but uh, in, in his defense, uh, his offensive line was really bad. And outside of one really long run from Ricky Brookins, which makes it look like they ran the ball pretty well, uh, they ran the ball pretty poorly for the, for the most part. So really, in all three phases of the game, or I guess they didn't really do anything terrible special teams, although there was a fake punt. They did, so yeah, they got they got beaten all three phases of the game, and and that's what you get. And like I said, I think I think the score is unfortunately misleading. Yes, it was thirty-one ten. Um, you know, there was probably I think eleven minutes left in the in the fourth quarter, uh, and then it, it, you know Ross Hay Stadium was a party atmosphere all afternoon. And I, I do want to give a shout out. I, I hate to do it, um, but man, those Purdue fans deserve a lot of credit. And, and we'll talk about this later in the show, David, because it's one of the pet peeves I have uh, with Indiana football right now. But that place is sold out, uh, at, at least from the field. I don't know. I think the upper 
upper rows were so were were filled. Um, if it, if it wasn't a sellout, there must have been like one seat that wasn't sold. Uh, yeah, um, that place it, it certainly came back. Go ahead. Oh yeah, I was just gonna say uh, it certainly, like you said, it certainly felt like capacity or near capacity crowd. Uh, I mean, there was a fair amount of red and white in there, and you know, crimson and cream for the first, you know, two and a half to three quarters. But um, no, and then, and then when they rushed the field at the end, and well deserved, it, it, it looked very full. It, it looked full, and looked it, it. It was a bumping type atmosphere, and I think, you know, for a lot of different reasons, it was an it, it was an important game for both programs. I think it was an important game, maybe a little bit for the state. You know, Indiana is not, you know, obviously not exactly known as the uh, as a football state by any means. Um, but you know what, two teams, um, and for the first time ever in the rivalry, the game was important for both teams for more than just pride. You know, both teams were looking for, uh, it was a one game playoff essentially. And, uh, the Purdue fans took that very seriously. So it, it, it was a lot of fun in that sense. And it, it was a lot of fun. I think it's, it's great for the state. It's something that I asked, um, Don Fisher and Tom Allen on the radio show was like, what does this do for the the culture of Indiana basketball or Indiana football, I'm sorry, um, Indiana football in, <laughs> in a basketball state um, is, you know, this game, it was on ESPN two. There were a lot of stakes. Now there've been times where both teams have been bowl eligible. One team coming in looking for a bowl while the other team was bowl eligible. They of course had the game in 1967 uh, where Purdue came in ranked number four and you're playing uh, essentially for a big 10 title. Um, and IU won and went to the Rose Bowl, but this was, yeah, you're right, it's the first time in history that both teams needed to win to become bowl eligible, and I thought Purdue came out with more fire uh, than than IU, and that's what was disappointing. It, it, this is, you know, you're looking to make history, winning five buckets uh, in a row, trying to get to a bowl game for the third time in a row, uh, and part of the allure of hiring Tom Allen was that you wouldn't have these types of, of emotional letdowns. You saw every time Purdue made a big tackle, they were up and, and beating their chest and celebrating. And you, you could either be a fan of that or not. It doesn't matter. But football is a game of emotion, and Purdue played with more emotion on on Saturday than IU did. And that, to me, is the most disappointing part of this game. I thought IU was not aggressive enough on offense. You saw the game changed on that fake punt. IU was prepared for it. They had the punt safe team in, uh, and then you had Chase Dutra and Chris Covington. They bid on the run fake by the punter, uh, and, and then he hit the long snappers. The same exact fake punt play they ran against Northwestern a couple weeks ago. Uh, it had been on tape. You know, I was on the sideline, David, for that. Fans behind me were like, hey, they're going to fake it. I think everybody in the, in the building – I knew they were going to fake it, but Indiana just didn't execute on the field. And that's a disappointing thing. They, they were not aggressive. Purdue came out, hit Indiana in the mouth, you know, with that interception and touchdown. But IU recovered 7-7, and then that, that fake punt uh, started to blow the doors off, off there a, a little bit. Uh, at 21-10 at halftime, outside of that Ricky Brookins run, if they don't get that run, it's it's – uh, 21 7 and, and really bad. Uh, and IU made the chop block uh, penalty that, that took back a touchdown. There's just, they picked a bad day to play a game. 
Without a doubt, you know, they, I, I agree with you. I think they came out a little bit flat. Um, and, and I think, you know, we, you mentioned the fake punt. I think both teams should have certainly offensively showed what they are. Jeff Brom is very much known, and you know, when he came from Western Kentucky for having a deep bag of tricks. And he showed that there was a fake punt. There was It didn't work, but there was a flea flicker. Um, and there was also, they, they ran it twice and it worked both times about five or six yards out from the goal line. They ran a sweep run play for Anthrop both times. I think maybe even going to the same side, uh, and they both scored touchdowns and maybe it's because they don't think they have the players to do it or what, but I use offense is very vanilla. Um, whether, even when they had Peyton Ramsey in there, you know, and when he was healthy, I know you need to, you know, have, you know, a certain skill set to do certain things. But, you know, we saw what Purdue is in Purdue. You know, like we said, we hate to say it, but they're exciting. And I don't – this isn't a one-off. They're going to be good because people are going to see what they do and they're going to go want to play that brand of football. And it's very exciting. Um, and, they've got, and they've got a coach that's willing to take risks and willing to gamble and do things. And Indiana, I know a lot of people were upset with Mike DeBoard in year one. Um, and I wouldn't jump ship this just yet, but I know a lot of the complaints about Mike DeBoer, um was that the offense, uh, in large part, seemed very vanilla and, and safe this year. Yeah, and that's it was, you know, you kept waiting for them to break something out um, in terms of a gadget play uh, or using, you know, guys like Wob Fillier in, in different ways and things like that. Now, I don't know if Peyton Ramsey could have played. Tom Allen said he was too injured to play. He wasn't ready. They probably, if they needed to, had to go to Toronto. But he played against Rutgers. And that's what's mind-boggling to me. Did he get banged again in practice? Um, or did he just throw him out there against Rutgers and, and just to get him through the, the last, whatever, eight, nine minutes of that game? Uh, or do they not have faith in him? Uh, to put him in in a game game like this, what difference Ramsey would have made? I don't know. Indiana, outside of that, Ricky Brookins run ran for sixty yards. Uh, the offensive line got totally dominated, uh, and I mean the point. Every run was up the middle. Uh, they they busted one, but man, you got to try and start doing something different. Maybe run the ball outside. Uh, it's I don't know. I I, I think it's going to be back. Should he be back? Like a change? Yeah. It, but it, it comes down to this, and we'll talk about this uh, in depth a little bit later, David. Purdue's football staff gets paid at half seven million dollars. Indiana's football staff, I think, is around four point three or four point one million dollars, and that's including assistance. So Purdue's willing, and this is why. Purdue's set up to win a little bit better than, than IU. Is that, yeah, sure, Jeff Brom could leave. Uh, a lot of jobs opening. It's going to be interesting. He could leave this year. He could leave next year. But Purdue's willing to spend the money and take a chance to get another good coach up there. Uh, and mm-hmm. that's the difference uh, between IU and Purdue. Uh, say what you about Tom Allen. I like him. I think he's the right coach for Indiana. Uh, but he is an experience. And, and how you help inexperienced coaches – you give him the tools that he needs to build an experienced staff um, and quality staff to come in there and help him out, uh, you know, get over the, these, uh, the learning curve. 
hundred percent. I think I think you make a lot of good points. I know a lot of people, you know, are bullish on Tom Allen. You know, especially now that year one, you know, went south, um, and they didn't go on a you know a real coaching search, if you will. But I, I, I do like Tom Allen. I still still do believe he could be the guy for them. Uh, but I think you make a point. I mean, you know. Um, but, you know, there aren't a lot of differences between Indiana and Purdue, you might say. And then, you know, you look at a number like that, you know, over $2 million And, you know, it, there, there's a reason, like, is it, when you look at the big boy programs, the Alabamas and the Auburns and the, and the uh, you know, the Ohio States of the world, and you see how much money their coaching staffs make. Well, you know, the best assist, even the best assistants and coordinators make top dollar. So I think uh, there's certainly something to be said for that. Yeah, and IU's never going to be able to pay what Ohio State and Alabama plays because they bring in 100,000 fans a game. But for a school like Purdue, if it was capacity yesterday, is about 900 seats while in IU. Uh, you know, that's dollars a seat. That, that's a lot of money there that, that IU could be spending. But Purdue has other revenue sources. Uh, they serve beer stadium. That place is packed yesterday. Uh, you know, say what you will about beer sales, but lines were down the concourse. That's money. That's money that IU doesn't right now, uh, and, and that goes into upgrading the stadium, uh, building the, the the fantastic indoor practice facility that they have uh, next to the stadium, redoing concourses, paying. Uh, having a, a really nice press box. It's all these things, you know, add up to production on the field. Uh, news, Jeff Brom's slogan coming into the year was let's play football. It's see, on, on paper, when you hear it, it sounds silly. Let's play football. Come on. You, you know, let's be real. Uh but that's the attitude that IU needs. It's, let's play football. And it, it's more than just the product in the field and, and snapping the ball and throwing the ball and catching the ball. It's what do you need to give this program to win? Now, they're upgrading the facilities at Memorial Stadium. That's great. The stadium is going to look fantastic. Uh, but Purdue's facilities are football only, and that might make a difference in, in, in recruiting and some stuff. Uh, but Indiana's press box is falling apart. Uh, there's leaks whenever it runs or somebody flushes a toilet, it leaks from the ceiling. Uh, you, you and I have been in there, and it's it, it's probably the worst press box in the Big Ten. Now, I haven't been to all the Big Ten press boxes, but I'm pretty sure Minnesota, Nebraska, and Iowa have better press boxes. Um, the bathrooms in Memorial Stadium are dark and dank. Uh, the concourses are dark and dank. Uh, you can't get people in the stands because of pass outs. You don't serve alcohol for whatever reason. Now, Indiana's got to catch up with the times before they fall even further behind uh, uh, again and make sure that this season, 2017, is just a blip on the radar instead of a downward trend. Yeah, I agree. I think there is – it's not just one thing. It's not just the product on the field. There, There's a whole thing, especially at the collegiate level, that goes into building – a successful and first-class program. So I, th- I think you hit on a lot of good points. Yeah, and, it, you know, Purdue has history. Uh, they're the cradle of quarterbacks. Uh, it, it was I, – I, look, it, it is maddening that that place was sold out. And, and as much as I want to hate it, it was cool to be in that atmosphere. 
And if you go back to last year when Indiana was playing for a bowl, uh, it was the same type of weather. Uh, 30,000 people maybe showed up uh, for a team trying to go for back-to-back bowls and all that stuff. So, you know, I get it. I get Indiana doesn't have the history that Purdue has. But but at some point, you're going to have to – the administration is going to have to treat this program uh, like a golden goose and not something breaks even uh, and is just there to get you to basketball season. Uh, But let's get back to the game a little bit, David. What else stood out to you about it? I mean, they they made a furious comeback, so I don't want to say they quit on the team, but why was there a lack of energy? You know, I I think you know I I I don't know about the lack of energy. I just don't you know where where that comes from, or at least at times you know that that that's how it seemed. But I will say you know on a bright note, I thought Taser Mack was really good. Uh, seven. He finished with seven catches for 132 yards and a score. And he was sort of quiet some weeks and loud others. And he he, he made some really big plays in that game. Um, you know, Simi Cobb finishes with 105 yards and a score on seven catches, but they targeted him almost 20 times. And I think something that struck me, and they they let it go on both ends. Although there was there was there was a couple pat, more pass interference calls I thought on Indiana than Purdue. Um, the, the, the corners were very, very physical with Indiana, particularly with Simeon. He's not a guy who's afraid to mix it up and, and get physical and hand check and all that. And I thought the physicality of Purdue's defense, particularly in the secondary, uh, was really, really good. I know that Richard Lego finished with 373 passing yards, and this, the, the stats don't look quite as bad as, you know, and, and, and tell the story of the game he had. Um, but I thought the physicality, both um, in the secondary and, of course, at the line, you know, Purdue's front four really dominated the line of scrimmage, um, was something that was, you know, really the big difference on that end. But, but from a positive, I thought there were a few receivers that played well. Cobbs did some nice things. Um, Tazier Mack, future's good with him. You know, between him and Nick Westbrook, that's a really good combo next year, assuming Westbrook comes back healthy and ready to go. Um and while they didn't get a lot of production on the ground, I guess Cole Guest showed some flashes. I know Morgan Ellison, I think, was carted off the field and ended up being taken to a hospital. Um, so, you know, best, you know, fingers crossed on that. But um, So there were a couple of good individual performances, but in large part, I thought the physicality on both ends was really uh, what, what, what set the teams apart. Yeah, and Purdue was more physical. Their defensive line was more physical. Uh, they looked like they hit harder when they tackled. Uh, while Indiana was just taking guys down like a regular tackle, Purdue looked like they were using the hit stick on on Madden or something. Uh, DeWan Hunt was, was laying laying the wood. A Wap Fillier got crushed on a kick return, uh, and that just fires the crowd up. They just it, to me it down to emotion and those hard hits being playing physical that's all about want and and emotion so it's kind of concerning to me i can't put my finger on it either david i don't know why you uh, a team with all this on the line playing your your arch rival can't why there's an emotional letdown uh i had to ask alan that after after the game and if it was were they too juiced up? You know, sometimes you get too juiced up and 
your feeling gets going a little early and, and you get to the game and, and it's a letdown. But I have no idea. And, and that's the concerning part uh, about it. But look, uh, credit to Purdue. They, I think they, they wanted it more because um, I think that takes away from the Indiana players. But clearly it showed that they they were on a mission uh, yesterday uh, to, to, to win this game, get to a bowl game, uh, to West Lafayette and and just put what restore order to their universe uh, in their, their world. Uh, and going forward, I think now you, now you have a real rivalry uh, again. Um, can IU bring the bucket back to Bloomington next year in Bloomington? How's that crowd going to look? Uh, at the end of the year. I don't want to hear any more excuses from fans that this is on Thanksgiving weekend or it's a noon start. Um, Purdue fans showed up uh, and and credit to them. They showed up, their students showed up, that place was packed. So, you know, it's up and going forward into 2018, it's going to be a lot of questions. Who's going to be the quarterback? Reese Taylor had an awesome night last night. Congrats to him on winning the state title with Ben Davis. But if, if Ramsey was healthy, it, you know, him not playing showed me two things. Either he was not healthy enough to play, which Tom Allen said post game, or they have zero faith in him uh, going forward. And they're going to need to bring in a couple before that in this class. And hopefully uh, there's the early signing day coming up. I think it's December 19th, 20th uh, coming up. They're going to have class, which is ranked 39th in, in nationally right now. Keep it together get these guys in and, uh, you know, get back to work because this is not the breakthrough year uh, that Tom Allen and this program wanted. And it's, you know, it's now put up or shut up time. You you had your, your uh, honeymoon period, the breakthrough thing, you know, the mindset, I get it. I I like it and all that stuff, but fans want to see a product on the field that is a breakthrough. They, They don't, as nice as the shutout against Charleston Southern was, they don't care about that. They they want to beat Purdue, and they want to get to a bowl game. Uh, and we'll see if they could do that next year. Yeah, it was like you said, it was a different coach and it was a different mindset. But the breakthrough, it, it became sort of a a joke is the wrong word, but it became a, you know a little bit of an overused thing. And every week is like, would this be the breakthrough win? And some people thought. Well, if they, if they beat who they need to be, Rutgers, Illinois, and Purdue, then that'll be a breakthrough. If they get back to a bowl, it'll be a breakthrough. No, they need an upset for a breakthrough. And, well, they didn't really do any of those things. So w- whatever you define as a breakthrough, you know, five and seven without, a, you know, a real quality win. I'm not going to call Virginia a quality win, really. Um, and, of course, you know, not really Rutgers or Illinois or anything like that. So, you know, by all accounts, it was, you know, a disappointing year. I'm sure as we look back, there are uh, things to th- things to be happy about. You know, I don't know um, what the, you know, the, def- the defensive performance wasn't good, but I imagine they are going to be or close to be a top 25 defense. They came into the year wanting to do that, and they came into last, uh, yesterday, the 22nd total defense. So, um you know, there's there, there's certain things to look on, but o- overall, all in all, it's a disappointing year. And like you said, they they'll have to go right back to work. And uh, there's a lot of things they need to figure out as a team and sort of take a deeper look at themselves as a program because they've been sort of 
doing this this climb for a few years now, maybe the last four or five years, and Purdue did that same climb in one season and, frankly, did it better. Yeah, and speaking of the top 25 defense, uh, according to collegefootballstats.com, Indiana finished 26th in total defense, uh, just uh, uh, 1.1 yards behind Boise State for, for 25th. So, again, close, and that's the theme of the year. It's close to breakthrough, but no cigar. Uh, and we'll see. I mean, it's, you know, what changes do they need to make? make? Does Tom Allen need to give up some of the play-calling duties on uh, at defensive coordinator and, and give more control to Mark Hagan? and things like that and take a, a firmer grasp on the rest of the team. Uh, is he going to have the stones to fire a friend? Um, it, it's a hard thing to do. Uh, it's a position I would never want to be in, uh, but you have to take a long look at this offense and, and see that this is the offense is the reason why this team was five and seven. And can they go get a, a young offensive coordinator who has more imagination or you roll the dice with, with the board next year and say, look, we couldn't do anything because our offensive line didn't play well. And we were just calling plays with one hand behind uh, tied behind our backs. We'll, we'll see. It's a big off season for Indiana because next year is huge. Uh, next year determines whether 2017 was a blip on the radar or or if it's just a downward trend, uh, and that and everybody should be angry about this loss at Purdue, fans, coaches, players, administration. I hope the administration's angry about it uh, because they do just outdid IU in every facet of the game, uh, on the field, off the field, around the stadium. They just did it better uh, than IU uh, than IU's done in a long time. And that should be a challenge. If Purdue's really your rival, that should be a challenge to IU, to, to everybody at IU. We need to do better. Um, and, and we'll see. We'll see if this administration uh, and, and everybody up top uh, really want to, to win at football or just happy collecting a check, getting 35,000 people in the stadium and be going to bowl game. That that's I, I get it. I'm still angry, David, uh, and, and some of it is, is an emotional response. But I, I have kept a lot of this in for most of the season, just because it's not fair to judge a team through six games or eight games or ten games. You have to let let the ball ride. And, and you know what? Five and seven, it was not good enough for this team, and it shouldn't be good enough uh, for the the program. And, and some changes need to come. No, 100%. You're right. It's it's certainly a disappointment. Expectations by Indiana standards were high. There were a lot of people thought, you know, they thought for sure six wins. They thought, I predicted at the beginning of the year seven wins. I really did. I thought they were going to get one of the Michigan State-Maryland game. I thought they'd be able to win those last three. Um, and, and, you know, and, and neither of those and neither of those things happened. Um, you know, and, and they – they sort of get the annual pass because um, early on in the Big Ten schedule because it was so difficult. But that Maryland game felt like with a season, 
really went south. I know they had they had won two in a row and they had the chance yesterday to erase a lot of that of, of that negativity, but they had been getting a pass because all the teams they were playing were extremely extremely difficult, whether it be Wisconsin or Penn State or Michigan or Ohio State or on down the line. But yep. then they lose to, to a banged up, not great Maryland team in a game where they led going into the fourth. And that's kind of where I think people, you know, might have thrown in the towel on this team a little bit. I credit to them because they didn't throw in the towel as a team, I don't think, in large part. But um, that's where I think that was emblematic uh, of of their issues because that that, that should have been a win. They needed that win. And they didn't do it against. I got it, it was on the road, but that Maryland team was really banged up and having all sorts of issues, and they couldn't get the job done. That was kind of the turning point of the season for me. And the, and even more disappointing to them, I know hindsight twenty twenty Maryland, I, I lost out on the season. They got smoked by Penn State yesterday. They lost to Rutgers. Uh, they just didn't do much after that win. Now if you Maryland. You feel a little bit better if Maryland goes on and wins seven or eight games. You go, you know what? They got hot and and whatever. But the way that IU lost that game, uh, I, uh, poor defensive performance, uh, a poor special teams performance, two areas where IU was vastly improved this year. And yeah, you're right. That game turned on Maryland, and it was it, it would have been so easy just to write write them off there. But it, it's not fair to you have to let the season play out just because college football. It's so – you've seen it this year. You saw it 10 years ago in 2007. It's just, it's it's crazy. Um, and, and anything could happen any week. Iowa destroyed Ohio State, then lost to Purdue. And, you know, people are like, how, how did that happen? Um, so, yeah, I, I like to reserve judgment until, until the end of the season. But, yeah, that Maryland game, you look back at that game, you look back at Michigan State. Uh, which was a, a completely winnable game. You score a touchdown there, and that game is probably over. Uh, you make it a, a two-score game, uh, and it, uh, you know it's thirteen. What was it? It would have been thirteen-three, a ten-point lead with with about seven mm-hmm. or eight minutes left, and that game is probably over. You look at Michigan and uh, an overtime loss there. A couple bad calls go against IU in that game too. And, you know who knows if they recover that onside kick, he's ruled in bounds. They might win that. So I, I hate saying that they're they're really close, but yeah, you can look back at several games, uh, including Maryland, and, and kind of go, "What if? Um, you know, what if they recovered the onside kick there? Uh, you know, but that, that's you got to make plays, and, and that's what it comes down to." You, you have to score a touchdown to, to put teams away. That's what good, really good teams do. They score touchdowns to put teams away. They recover onside kicks uh, inbounds. They, you know, don't turn the ball over. They don't, uh, they don't have penalties on the opening, you know, offensive drive. IU isn't there yet, but that's part of that breakthrough mentality, which will probably – back off on the marketing side of but part of that mentality you got to start doing those little things that great teams do and those little teams will add up and 
and maybe one day uh, it, it'll work out for IU. But right now, it's just disappointment, and I, I don't want to say heartbreak because it wasn't a heartbreaking loss. It was just an angering loss. I agree. I, I don't think, yeah, heartbreaking sort of implies that it came down to the last play and something happened or a play wasn't made. It, but it was more, I think, frustrating and, and a little bit head-scratching, you know, for a team that had really fought over, you know, throughout the season and really clawed their way. I know it was Rutgers and Illinois, but they had, they had their backs against the wall and did what they needed to do. That Illinois game um, was maybe frustratingly close for a long time. Um, but and then they came out, and it was, uh, like you said, a little bit of a head-scratcher. Um, you know, they just didn't come out with any uh, with, with with what they needed to do, and that was pretty evident through, I don't know, about halfway through the second quarter on. Yeah, you know, going after that fake punt, man, you know, Richard Fant missed times to jump uh, on a deep ball, and that was that was all that was all she wrote. Uh, it, it was just they never they really never recovered. Yeah, Simi Cobbs and Taysir Mack played well. Wap had a touchdown, uh, and, and they're going to have some tools coming back, but they, they have a lot of stuff to figure out. And hopefully they do it here in the next few weeks. Uh, you're going to have a lot of quality coaches on all these staffs of, of uh, with a lot of turnover, where, who you who you might be able to bring in if the administrator is willing to pony up. Uh, any good business person, what you pay for. And Indiana staff is the lowest paid in the Big Ten. Uh, and if you're going to go by that standards, they they overachieve. Indiana got more than they bargained for uh, in that, but Indiana should have higher standards than that. They need to to pony up, uh, and it's on the administration to to open the pocketbook a little bit, get what they need to get, make this program, um, make it a good program. Uh, there's no reason that Indiana football should be bottom dweller uh, for all of history. Hundred percent, and uh, yeah, like you said, the work starts now. The journey uh, hopefully starts. You know, they can feel bad for themselves for a day or two, and then they got to get right back on the horse because everyone's only everyone's only getting better in the Big Ten. I don't, I don't, I think we saw, you know, with Purdue being, you know, you know, much better now, and even Rutgers like making some improvements. I, I would say, like outside of Illinois, there is not another perpetually really, really awful team in the Big Ten consistently uh, in football right now. You know, Purdue's better. Rutgers is better. Maryland, you know, would have been pretty good this year had it not been for the injuries. You know, that opening day winning in Texas proved that. Um, and, of course, you've got the big boys up top. You know, I know Minnesota kind of had a down year. I don't think they're terrible. I mean, it, it's everybody. Um, you know, so, so they no rest for the weary. They got to get up and, you know, you know, the, you know bootstraps, right? Yeah, I mean, you're you're exactly right. You're either getting better or you're getting worse. And IU has to get better. Um, Sure, Maryland wasn't great this year, but they're in that recruiting hotbed in the DLE. They have some talent on that roster uh, and a good coach, DJ Dirt. Rutgers, the same thing. They, they, you know, they had a disappointing end to the year, but they won three conference games. Uh, that that was more than IU uh, IU won this year. They're in a recruiting hotbed. Uh, 
those are advantages that IU doesn't have. IU has to recruit more national level. Sure, there are some great players in the state of Indiana, but you're competing against Purdue, against Notre Dame. Uh, Ohio State comes in and gets guys. Michigan comes in and gets guys. Uh, and then, yeah, you're right. Illinois is in the same boat as Indiana. They might be a little bit more worse off because uh, I don't know if this Lovey Smith experiment is, is going to work out. Uh, you saw the frustration yesterday where a defensive lineman picked up and chucked the flag at, at the referee, which I, I don't know how many times IU fans and myself wanted to do that this year. Um, so I, I, I was oddly happy that that guy did it. It was the power on man. Uh, but you know they were willing to uh, they were willing to open the pocketbook and take a shot. And Indiana's been doing this. I, I was talking to Matt Weaver of, of Peaks.com about this. Indiana's been trying to do the same thing uh, on the cheap side of things uh, for a hundred years, and it hasn't worked. And it's time to to break that cycle. It's time to open up the pocketbook and get you know. Find find an offense, a new and exciting offense coordinator who could come in in a few years. Look, if a coach, if he does well and leaves, more power to you. Um, that's great. Then you bring in the next hot coach uh, and things like that. So this is why attendance matters in football. Uh, instead of getting 30,000 people a game, you get 50,000 or 52,000. You have a lot more money to spend on these things that make – uh, middling programs uh, into into programs. Yeah, without a doubt, I think you know you hit you hit you hit the nail on the head there. And you know, like I said, the program after you like that in a lot of different respects, you know, you need to take a little bit of a look in the mirror. Yeah. Well, David, thanks for joining me on this Sunday morning. Uh, keep coming back to HoosierHuddle.com. Follow us on Twitter at Hoosier underscore. We'll have all your IU offseason news and notes, uh, signing uh, early signing days coming up in, in about three weeks. We'll see uh, if IU could keep class together. They they should be able to. Uh, and if they do, it gives you a little bit more hope for the future. Uh, anyway, I, I do want to thank our writers, David. I want to thank you and Alex, uh, TJ, Evan, and Chris. Uh, all you guys have done a fantastic job this season. And I wish we had one more one more month of, of uh, football to get into some off-season content. Uh, and thank you, fans, for still with us this year and, and listening. Enjoy your NFL Sunday. Uh, enjoy your Thanksgiving week. Uh, and, you know, enjoy championship week next week. David, thanks. Thanks so much, Sammy. All right. All right. That does it for our podcast today. Uh, we will have other podcasts on recruited coming out throughout the off season. So stay tuned to HoosierHuddle.com. Uh, we'll have you covered throughout the winter. This is it. We've got an Amex Platinum Pro on our hands, ladies and gentlemen. We haven't seen anyone relax like this before in the Centurion Lounge. Is he connecting to complimentary Wi-Fi? Oh, my. Look at that. He is. And you will not believe where he's going next. The Amex dedicated card member entrance for the win. Unbelievable. When you get travel perks with Amex Platinum, you're part of the action. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. 
I want to tell you a story. It's a story about a scandal, broken relationships, gossip, rumors, money, corporate rivalry, and a broom. A performance-enhancing broom. My name is John Cullen. I'm a comedian, podcaster, and for 20 years, I was a semi-professional curler. And I want to tell you the story about how a single broom almost imploded the 500-year-old sport of curling. We felt like we were bringing a knife to a gunfight. It's the story of a superstar and his fall from grace. Oh, I was being dragged through the mud. It's the story of two brother entrepreneurs with a dream. <laughs> I said, that's great news. It's a story of intrigue. I still don't understand why we want to keep his name secret. The full story has never been told, so I'm going to tell it. Broomgate. How a broom almost killed curling. It was a year I'd like to forget. To listen to Broomgate, search for Broomgate in your favorite podcast app. That's all one word. Broomgate. The NBA Finals are heating up. Looking for hot takes on all the postseason action? The Old Man and the Three, presented by BMW, is the podcast to listen to for the ultimate finals coverage. Host and former NBA sharpshooter J.J. Redick not only has a plugged-in perspective on the action from his time in the league, but he's also announcing the games in real time for ESPN. J.J. has the ultimate insider point of view, and he's taking you along for the ride as he breaks down the best defensive schemes, dunks, and drives from each game. And speaking of incredible drives, there's no better place to tune into your new favorite podcast, The Old Man and the Three, than in a standard-setting BMW. Luxury meets power to create a wholly new driving experience. Push the limits this NBA season with the brand that set the ultimate standard. BMW, the ultimate driving machine. Man, that sunset is gorgeous. Grill, patio, sunset. Hard to get better than that. Unless you're browsing Carvana's inventory while you soak it all in. Oh, burger time. So sit back, get comfortable. Carvana's got thousands of cars under $20,000 just waiting for you. I could stay here forever. Carvana, where car buying meets comfort meets convenience. Download the app or visit Carvana.com today. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress them on the third date guacamole? Well, good thing Instacart shoppers are as picky as you are. They find ripe avocados like it's their guac on the line. They are milk expiration date detectives. They bag eggs like the 12 precious pieces of cargo they are. So let Instacart shoppers overthink your groceries so that you can overthink what you'll wear on that third date. Download the Instacart app today to get free delivery on your first three orders while supplies last. Minimum $10 per order. Additional terms apply. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be.